My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is, is Anamorphology. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The Alien. The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The Underground. The Decision. The Spoke. The Departure. The Second Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Mutation. The Separation. The Deception. The Suspicion. Resistance. The Unexpected. Sacrifice. The Diversion. The Beginning. And my name is John. Welcome, John. Welcome, John. Amazing. Yay. We're so glad you're here. You. Very excited to have you. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience with the Animorphs? Sure. So I was a real nerdy kid in elementary school. Who my was it? <laughs> wow. Um, Gray and I were super cool. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I'm not sure how I made it through elementary school in one piece, but uh, Scholastic Fair Day was the best mm-hmm. day of the mm-hmm. year. Accurate. So um, I would get the little catalog and circle the books I want, and then my parents would go, no, we cannot afford those. <laughs> yeah. Because it was like half the catalog. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, so the Animorphs had a really cool cover, and I was a nerdy kid, and so I just picked them up and started reading. Did um, you start with the first one? I think so. I must have. But I was pretty young for them, like mm-hmm. six or so. Oh, wow. Like when they first came out, 96, 97, so I would have been six or seven years old. And I just started going through, and at that age, like they were not coming out fast enough for me to like want to keep up with them, but I liked them. And then I sort of drifted and moved on. And then in middle school, I was like, oh, I wonder whatever happened to the series. And mm-hmm. so I went back to it. There was still an Animorphs Club and started reading them again. But eventually, like, I was too cool. There's mm-hmm. air quotes here. Yeah. Um, Who was it? Yeah. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> no, sure. that was me. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> you were younger. You didn't have to be cool. I, hey, I was the Animorphs finished when I was in seventh grade. It was not cool to be reading the Animorphs. I didn't in start grade. reading them until eighth grade, Ted. Oof. I mean, both of you, huh? <laughs> Great. I think. Well, no, I think I think now it makes it very cool. Yeah, yeah it came uh, back around. Yeah, so actually, I, I never did finish them, and somehow I feel like I read bits and pieces like individually because randomly I'll be reading a book and I'll be like, yes, I've definitely read this, like Visser, for example. Mm-hmm. I've definitely read that, but none of the other individually numbered ones hmm. um, up to this point. Anyway, so the Animorphs were like my literary greatest regret of my entire life that I Whoa. never finished these, um, <laughs> which is big. I mean, it's, you know, I have other regrets that are bigger, but, <laughs> but literally, <laughs> literally speaking, yeah. never finishing this series because it was wow. such a cool series. And I remember yeah, thinking it about it and then Gray was like, oh, I'm going to do this podcast on the Animorphs. Have you heard about it? I was like, maybe. <laughs> it's possible. Ring some so kind of bell. are you reading ahead? Or have you been kind of going with the podcast? Like, uh, have you read the ending now? No. So Ooh, I have been going with the podcast. That's very exciting. Um, and then, of course, I read ahead in order to be on this episode. But then, like, after that, I'm going to still wait and go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff. Fantastic. Yeah. So what did you think about this book, John? I thought, I mean, it was a good book. It, it was certainly better than uh, non-canonical uh, mm-hmm. 37. Yeah. yeah. It's not. It's not my favorite Marco book. It's not even. I don't know. I would. I would say this is probably like top fifteen for me. I like the idea of Bee Vision um, mm. or Bee Purple. Bee that purple. seems like really cool. Yeah. And I went and looked it up, and it's actually just purple. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't see how cool it is. Well, that's you're not true. A bee, right, right. I assume. Uh, yeah. I assume. Uh, yeah. One can only guess. I would never admit to it if I was. <laughs> Gray, what did you That's think? a great this... policy when you have some non-human identity. I hear from friends. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
I liked this one. Um, it might be one of my favorite Marcos so far. My overall take on it uh, in my notes was, okay, fine, I'll appreciate Marco. See if I care. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny? Wow, I finished this like half an hour ago. I forgot to have an opinion on it. No, I liked it. I think I think it's a pretty good book. It's Yeah, it's not shooting to the top of my list. It was less horrifying on the ableism front than I expected. Yeah. So that was nice. It yeah. wasn't great, but it was better than it could have been. Yeah, it was It was trying. It was trying to do a thing. It was much better than non-canonical 37 and 39. Sorry, Ted. Ted, what did you think of it? I liked it. I think it is better than 39. I didn't like it as much as 39. <laughs> um, this is one of the things, that, like the axe being an Andalite ableist was like one of the things that I was kind of dreading on coming back to. And I don't know, we'll get into it. It was okay. It wasn't as bad as 17 for me in mm. that regard, but there was still some stuff that I didn't like. I like that this is, I feel like this is a new version of Marco. It feels like very much post-Visser Marco, and I'm excited to like, talk about I like that. that. Yeah. But do you guys want to hear what happened in the book? Oh, we would I love really to. Do. You should aim for like 55 seconds. Set yourself a challenge. Okay, that sounds good. <laughs> so Marco sees an Andalite on TV and kind of like a Bigfoot footage type thing. And so he immediately needs to investigate. He goes to Axe's scoop to be like, hey, Axe, were you on TV? Axe uses his magical Andalite DVR to figure out that it was not him caught on TV. So Marco, Axe, and Tobias, the special ops team, go out into the woods to see who this Andalite is. Is it Visser 3? It's not Visser 3. I don't know how to say his name. Galafinin? Gafalinin? Gafalinin? I don't know why either of you are looking at me as though I ever know how to pronounce anything. We're looking for council consensus. Gafalinin? What even are the syllables? I can't wait for us to get the um I'm the audio this doesn't count against this. my pretty, I I went with Galfinian. Galfinian? But no no there's a there's an L in there. Yeah. Yeah, it's a I was saying gaffinillin, but like gaffinillin. Like vanillin. That sounds like yeah. a, like gaffinilla wafer. Gaffinillin? Yeah. Gaffinillin? Gaffinillin? It's like two names. Gaffinillin. What do you think? That if you when he's oh I'm saying gaffinillin. Gaffinillin? Gaffinillin. No. Gaffinillin. Gaffinillin. So I think Gaffinillin. Gaffinillin. Gaffinillin? What if we call him Gaffy? Gaffinillin? I could just call him like the Andalite beefcake. I think that's fine too. Gaffy. Gaffy Andalite. Gaffinillin? I think we're settling on Gaffinillin. Okay. All right. Like vanilla. I'll do my best. So the Andalite in the Woods was not Axe, is not Visser 3. It is an Andalite, Gaffinillin, a famous scout Andalite who's really buff and Axe knows of. He was on the dome ship when it crashed, and he's been hiding out in the woods, taking care of his Shorm and likely partner, Myrtle, who is the Andalite that was seen on TV. Uh, we learned that Myrtle is a Vekhol, which is the Andalite word for an Andalite that's lost part of its tail. Myrtle is also unable to morph due to a allergy or something. I don't think we ever find out why. They mention it at the end. He has some morphing thing. Anyway, Myrtle is unable to morph for reasons and thus cannot get his tail fully restored. And it turns out in Andalite culture, as represented by Axe, Andalites have a huge problem with physically disabled Andalites. So this comes up a lot through Axe saying things about Myrtle, 
like, why should we help him? And then Marco being very judgmental towards X, and then seeing uh, Gaffanillon be unusually supportive of Myrtle's situation. So they get into a scrape with Gaffanillon where he thinks X is Visor 3, but they say, like, no, 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 we're actually fighting against Visor 3. And Gaffanillon's like, okay, forget everything and leave me alone. So the special ops team follow him back to his house in suburbia where he lives alone as a human uh, froless man. Gaffanillon has taken the DNA from countless individuals and created the most generic human morph of all time. What Jake would look like when he grew up. And I, I shouldn't stop editorializing. <laughs> no, I like no, it. That's canonical. <laughs> that is canonical. What is uh, the editorializing in tone? My note for that was wrecked. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. By Marco, too. His best friend. Uh, yeah. um, so in, in Gaffanillon's house, he appears to be living alone. There's no signs of Myrtle. He also has a very nice greenhouse where he keeps bees. Marco tries to investigate. Gaffanillon is like, stop. But he is interested in talking to Jake, their so-called leader, because he thinks that Jake is an Andalite. Uh, Marco acquires a bee in order to scout out Gaffanillon's place on his own. So Marco and Rachel do some off-the-books recon without telling the rest of the Animorphs and discover that Myrtle is nowhere to be seen. There's no smell of him about the place. So Gaffanillon is definitely lying about something. So Jake and the rest of the Animorphs show up at the house. They want to get to the bottom of this. They're thinking, so earlier Gaffanillon saw Marco in human form. So he's a potential liability. If he's not on their side, he might sell them out to Visser 3. So Jake and the Animorphs confront him on this point, And um, Gaffanillon kind of lures Jake into a room by himself and says, okay, buddy, it's, it's time to demorph. You know, we're both Andalites. We both like being Andalites. Let's just demorph. And Jake is like, Haha, psych, we're all humans. And the rest of the Animorphs bust in through the wall. And um, it turns out Gaffanillon was trying to acquire or to capture an adult Andalite to take to Visser 3 and to trade for Myrtle's life. Because this whole time Visser 3 has captured Myrtle, but an Andalite who cannot morph, which Myrtle cannot, is not that useful to the war effort. And uh, Gaffanillon originally offered to trade himself for Myrtle's life but Myrtle revealed to the Visser that Gaffanillon has a degenerative disease that cannot be cured by morphing that is going to kill him very soon. So Gaffanillon is also not valuable to the Yorks as a prisoner. So Gaffanillon was looking for another Andalite to trade to free Myrtle. The Animorphs say, this is terrible. Don't do that. Instead, we will rescue Myrtle. Myrtle has been being driven around town in a truck because Visser 3 is afraid of having the Andalites attack the Yerk pool again. So... They catch Myrtle in his truck in a creepy abandoned rail yard, and they have an all-out fight to rescue him, which they do. And Marco, you know, thinks about how sad the situation is where Gaffanillon and Myrtle will have each other only for a little while until Gaffanillon dies. And so Marco goes and offers to play video games with Myrtle. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> I actually, I was very touched by the ending. Yeah, no, That's the ending was nice. real nice. We probably shouldn't start there. Well, we can talk about how Marco comes off in this book, which I thought was pretty good. 
Yeah. I was reluctant, as always, to get on board with Marco and his sense of humor. But actually, this was a really great Marco book. He uses humor really well. He's very honest with himself and the reader about his motivations and why and how he uses humor. He also really stands up for the idea of you know, anti-ableism, which I thought was great. He's surprisingly aware and nuanced view of how people are seen in the world and how Axe's ableism affects not just Axe, not just Axe's relationship with these two Andalites, but also Axe's relationship with the other Animorphs, in particular Tobias. Like, I thought Marco did great. Yeah. There was some weird stuff where he was, like, impulsive and kind of, like, doing stuff when without Jake's orders or, like, against Jake's orders or secretly. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't really sure where that was coming from or how it fit in. Maybe, I mean, Ted, you were talking about, like, this is a post-Visser Marco. Like, maybe, like, it didn't seem to tie into anything thematically. It felt like a more of a Rachel thing than a Marco thing. Yeah, there were some interesting group dynamics. I do think Marco comes off well in this book. And I want to talk about, like, his character more. But I, the where the... The ableism thing landed for me was like, Marco is like, he's the one who's willing to go there and like make the off-color comments. So I sort of feel like the book is like teaching you a very important lesson by being like, even Marco knows that ableism (laughs) in a way that it doesn't necessarily feel grounded in what we've seen from the character before. Especially because of the way Marco is always being like, this is so insane, that's insane. And the Animorphs have like completely missed the boat in terms of understanding mental illness as a disability. Which is also like a very 90s thing. So maybe this is also kind of like, you know, Mm, like they and when they try and talk about the theme of the book really on the nose, at some points, mental illness is kind of like left out and at some points it's included. So I feel like it's a pretty good effort, but like Marco is almost like protesting too much, right? Like I don't necessarily see in him the the kind of person who's going to be like, hey, this thing that you're saying is a bad opinion that nobody should have. Mm. doesn't necessarily feel part of his character. It's super true. I feel like somebody sent Apple Grant a letter. Basically <laughs> being like, you know, some of these things aren't, aren't cool to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they were like, oh, yeah, that's definitely right. Let's, let's fix that. What's the next book up in the series? <laughs> but I agree. Like, they are super heavy-handed, especially towards the Oh, end. that last, mm-hmm. like, chapter. Yeah. Second to last chapter or something um, like that. I'm not, I don't necessarily have to read it now, but, like... Wow, like hit you over the head with a club about what the point of the book is mm-hmm. in a way that I don't think has happened in any of the no, other books it's really for like a this is your this is the lesson you're supposed to learn from this book. It's also weird because in book twenty eight, when they do the like maybe animals are people too thing, the end of the book is like a huge middle finger basically saying like <laughs> eat meat doesn't matter. Right? So like it's like Within the series, yeah. two very opposite examples of, like, lesson of the week. Yeah. One of the weird things is, I think Apple Grant has said, they've said somewhere, like, that, yeah, they, have they actually said that they intended these Andalites to be gay? Yes. Okay. Okay, thank yeah. goodness, because if they did not, <laughs> wow, the heavily coded. But it was also <laughs> super Dumbledored. Like, it was a letter yeah. that Michael Grant wrote in 2015. Oh, wow. Mm. Where okay. he was like, yeah, these Andalites were were gay. And Could have just had them be gay in the book. Yeah. But it was weird that, like, they were, like, subtextually gay, and the overt theme of the book was all about disability. And there's one line that I think Axe has that, like, it's like it's it's not natural to, like, be supportive of a person with this physical disability. 
And I was like, okay, are they like trying to make disability a metaphor for being gay? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I mean, oh, okay. I... I I don't know how. I don't know about trying. That's doing a lot of work there, but mm. that's what they are doing in the book. <laughs> okay, because I had a slightly different take on that, mm-hmm, which was mm-hmm. that the degenerative disease was mm-hmm. a metaphor for AIDS. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so the support during end-of-life decisions mm-hmm. being more important. So not that... Okay, that's so a the, better It was like a different metaphor. There's still a lot going on <laughs> with that that we should talk about, but I, I found I saw a different parallel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't I don't want to be this hard on it, but I, I just like with the, the subtext that the Andalites are gay, the ending where it's like, you have to support people no matter what's wrong with them is like a little bit flawed. Yeah. A lot flawed. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's not good. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. It's also like there, I guess, since we're talking about it now, like it has the sort of like they're the two gay characters, and they're both like doomed. Oh like, yeah! Like, <laughs> oh yeah! No, this is not. It's like kill your gays, but first give them really long a degenerative disease or this, you know, physical disability that they are ashamed of, even if they shouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great that Marco wants to play video games with Fernal after his partner's dead, but. But yikes. <laughs> There's also the the amount of work that they have to do to get around a cure for this degenerative disease. I mean, it, it's it's very silly. I'm actually oh, because like the it's like Cassie can magically heal heal herself with morphing yes. all the time. All the animorphs can magically heal themselves like all the time, yeah. right? Yeah. And so like and the now way we're just degeneration about... works. You'd think that morphing would you know it's not going to make you not have the disease, but wouldn't it like undo a lot of the damage? Whatever the damage it's, is, and also. There's a lot that we learn about Andalite culture. Yeah. None of it good. No. Yeah, zero. None of it is good. And, but one of them is, we know about this disease. There is a way to cure it. And the way to cure it is to morph a healthy Andalite and then become a Nothlet of that Andalite. Oh, yeah. And they're like, no. Right. Because that's cowardly. (laughs) You should just die. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a lot. I think that's super interesting. It is a lot, but it's right. So, like, I can imagine what if suddenly people created the morphing technology and it was, like, the thing we were talking about where it's like, okay, we'll have a bunch of 90-year-olds morph teenagers and start over, right? Like, that's a lot of people are going to say, don't do that. Those people need to die, right? So, like, that you can save yourself from the disease thing makes it a lot worse. But it's I think it's a really plausible cultural norm against... Not letting yourself. Yeah, if, if not, yeah, if not yeah, yeah, yeah. being selfish or like dishonorable to not let your body kill you or something. Like I, I, I totally get where you're coming from. But yeah, because yeah. if you have this sort of scorn towards people who have degenerative disease, then like they don't deserve to have a healthy new body. Right. Like that's where. Yeah. Like, that's where that would come from. Be like, it's cowardly. You aren't allowed to do it. Yeah. Ninety year olds deserve to die. They don't deserve teenage bodies. You know, that would be the parallel idea. Yeah. I mean, fair enough. There have to be some strictures around the usage of morphing technology. And I but don't know that it it's is... fair enough. I think it's born out of, like, prejudice. So look, and, yeah. I guess my point was just that having strictures, I think, is mm-hmm. fair enough. It's the cultural color around that that I'm a little... And, and where the line is drawn, specifically yeah. in this case. And we've known Andalites love their bodies. They love their tails and tail fighting. Mm-hmm. There's the thing in 18 where the guy's tail got cut off or whatever and people freaked out even though we were all like can he just morph out so maybe he had myrtle's thing you know i don't know right like so like this is definitely consistent it feels also a little bit like uh 
the thing we were complaining about with Andalite misogyny. Like, mm-hmm. why why put this in the culture? Like, why? It's like... They're the Americans. Right, right, right. It's like, why do you have to do this? You can do whatever you want. Do you guys think... How do you guys think Axe's character comes off? Ooh, not great. Like, is it like no. a 16-year-old kid, mm. I, which is what he is. I, a 16-year-old kid raised in a, like, heavily militaristic society. That's actually yeah. a really good take. It's actually more... Like, the Animorphs are... Incredibly empathetic for yes, teenagers. Yes, that's true. So actually, that's a really good point. Yeah. For somebody who was raised in an otherwise, like, super machismo, military-oriented society where, like, your ability to be physically active and, like, have a strong tail and, like, a strong bodybuilder's chest is really important. I don't know how much more well, I expect of him. It's weird that he doesn't see Jake and Marco and Rachel and Cassie as disabled because they don't have tails right like i feel like that would be the more he gets to shades of that though where he's like i am not and never have been or professed to be human it is surprising to me that like as a society that is supposedly many millennia more advanced than humans that we haven't figured out that like you know maybe don't be mean to people just because they have a physical deformity right so marco's reaction we were talking about marco's reaction to that and how it was Maybe a little uncharacteristically strong. This might be the wrong part of the episode to talk about this because this is getting into silly theories. <laughs> Go on. I feel like there isn't. It's true. There's not a lot of basis. Like, I mean, Marco's attitude, like, wow, Axe, this is so out of line. Like, he actually gets really upset about it. Like, he's at one point, I think he's like shaking or like, you know, he's ha- having trouble responding to him. Like, that's the kind of thing I would expect from a character who had something like that in his past. And Marco I, doesn't really. So. That was yeah, a he tries bit... to make an analogy to his mom, which doesn't Yeah, work. Doesn't so that was a little surprising. Yeah. I think the reason he's so upset to hear Axe expressing these ideas is because he's recognized his feelings for Axe. And now he's really disturbed <laughs> that this person he has a crush on is expressing these ideas. Right, so That's it's Axe's prejudice is a turnoff, and he really wants to Yeah, he wants yeah. Because there, there, were, there were several several very shippy lines in this book, and... Uh, Go on. <laughs> <laughs> there was a thing when Marco first sees like the Andalite on TV. He's like, oh no, danger. Like, what if the Yurks see and figure it out, you know? He's like, Axe would not be taken. I would make sure of that. I was like, that's a that's a strong stance. Okay. And then there was a really great description of Axe. Axe is talking to Gaffanillan and uh Marco says, this was insane. Axe definitely had a career as an actor alongside Gwyneth Paltrow in Shakespeare Love. Weird comparison. Or maybe as a diplomat. I was so freaked out that I was about to wet my pants, and Axe was acting like a hero in a witty drawing room comedy or something. Talk about grace under fire. That is so shippy. (laughs) It's so shippy. He's not even doing that well. He is not. He's not doing nearly as well as Jake does later, which we will talk about because I still love it. But then, you know, when Marco is menaced by Gaffanillan, like, Axe is the one who steps in to rescue him. And I had one more thing. Where are my notes? Oh, yeah. Then they're on a mall date together. (laughs) It's a little ridiculous. And then it says, although I'm sure it does not mean this, accidentally on purpose, we hooked up. <laughs> I, I almost took a screenshot of that. <laughs> anyway, I think this ghostwriter ships it. 
And I think they were expressing the strength of Margot being upset that this uh, this person he's really into is is a bigot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's as good a theory as any. Anyway, I enjoyed Marco's take and his willingness to call Axe out on the bigotry that's apparently inherent in the Andalite society. Mm-hmm. I appreciated Tobias doing that even more. Tobias, mm-hmm. I think, did it better. But I also, mostly it's just that these books have missed the mark so many times Mm -hmm. in discussing and dealing with these kinds of subjects with mental health, physical disability, with misogyny, with all kinds of things where... like, and remember, in Air Quotes 37, Rachel is like, and I really hate the Yurks because they don't have legs. Yeah. It's like, it's really, really, really bad. It's very bad. And and then in 38, Axe, again whatever, culture, whatever, but, like, is super misogynistic about the girl In a way that never really gets called out. Never gets called out or resolved. So the fact that this book is like, hey, we don't do great with this. This one thing, I'm going to call it out, we're going to talk about it, and we're going to try and resolve this in a way where we teach the children who are reading this book series that being an asshole about people with physical disabilities is not okay. I was like, I'm kind of on board with that. These are for middle grades, re- middle grade readers. I want the middle grade readers to be like, that's right. We don't make fun of people who are handicapped. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. Children's librarian. I can't help it. <laughs> I want the books with the morals. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Slight tangent, though. While we're talking about, like, things that you want to see in middle grade, how about this paragraph? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> You can't imagine how disturbing it is to look down and see that one of your body parts is missing. No matter what form you're in, see the blank space where it used to be. See the blood and gore oozing out of the stump. Middle grade fiction! <laughs> Again! Why? Why? At one point, there's a there's a line that's like, Tobias has been out of sorts lately, or like, has been sad recently, or something like that. And I was like... I think it's he's been moody. Oh, yeah, moody. <laughs> He's been moody recently. Asking a lot of rhetorical questions. Has he been moody since the time he was turned into a hawk permanently this year? Or was it moody since (laughs) the the time time. he was tortured? (laughs) Tortured in a box. (laughs) Since when has he been moody? And for what possible cause? (laughs) Moody. It's also like the only rhetorical question he asks in this entire book. (laughs) In this book, although that does... uh, at one point recently, he he asked, um, what fresh hell is this? And I was like, he has been asking a lot of questions. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> Favorite think- one. But yeah, you, were, you made a good point about, like, it's a nice use of middle gradiness. I guess sometimes in the series you want, or like, sometimes in the series the answer is like, oh, it's a tough question whether we should kill people or not. Nah. Whereas like this kind of thing is like, actually, there is a right answer and yeah. we're teaching you a lesson. Yeah. And so it's interesting and we've, so we've been trying to stop ourselves from saying the words interesting <laughs> and problematic. I it's neat. <laughs> yeah, so it's hard to object to a book that comes firmly down on the side of like, yeah, let's not discriminate against people with disabilities. But it does feel like we were saying clumsy and heavy-handed in a way that these books aren't. Mm-hmm. And I do admire how the books often do explore the complexities of these issues and they don't usually try to make such an after-school special kind of point point. Mm-hmm. and it, it does feel a little bit more condescending maybe or okay yeah but it feels more middle grade i guess that's yeah, yeah. that's sort of my yeah that was a so you were saying it like it comes across as kind of um patronizing and even the way that 
they're sort of like, Marco is like, well, Marco is right and Axe is wrong. But early on when he's saying like, hey, Axe, how do you how do you really feel about this guy? <laughs> like he's trying to like mm. prod him. Right. He's like. He and he he's basically trying to subtweet him in person, but he says like, yeah, this whole this whole <laughs> like videotape thing might oh, be a trap. No. Oh no, Marco yeah. on Twitter. Oh no, for it might be a trap for us unsuspecting, big-hearted humans who respond to creatures less fortunate than us with empathy and kindness, which is also kind of a patronizing attitude, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not. Mm. It's also, I mean, it's really nicely pointed towards Axe. Right. Yeah. Right. I have a question. I guess you I'm... have questions. I know it's so unusual. Here's a thing that I believe I have brought up before, possibly multiple times. There seems to be in the Andalite culture a real emphasis on, as John was saying earlier, kind of physicality, right? This is a militaristic mm-hmm. society, and we value your ability to fight and beat people With up. your specific, like, physical body. Your specific yeah. physical body. That seems real weird for a species that mostly fights in space. <laughs> Not only do they fight in space, they also invented morphing. Yeah, this is so well, weird. Why do I why, why do lasers. I care that this guy is built like a fullback? He drives a train, like drives a spaceship. You don't need to yeah, have good true. arms to drive he's a spaceship. He's a fighter pilot. Why are you? Why is he so? Who built? cares? Yeah. Because he's like he's a. I, so like, he has this a is... side job as a cover model. You might have seen his work. I'm Visser. <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> Explains the hubcap sized hooves which he has. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, again, like I don't arguable whether they intended it i think they did it's kind of like another like gay trope that they're playing into it's like oh, he's like no. the, he's like the beefy oh, no. guy who like takes care of his body and he's like i'm hitting the gym you know like <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah wow but, oh no yeah <laughs> no it said that myrtle is also really built maybe right maybe <laughs> no. that's a right. maybe that's an overused trope i'm not supposed to like but i kind of like it <laughs> it's yeah. like they're trying really hard to signal something, and yeah. I don't know. I did. I just the yeah. Andalites. The thing is, we've been complaining. So, I maybe it's just we've been complaining so for so long about how Andalites are like these adorable little deer people with these like <laughs> noodle arms and <laughs> Andalite arms. Right, right. And here we finally have the real beef, Gaffanella. <laughs> finally, we've been asking the whole time, where's the beef, and now we have our answer. That was terrible. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Gray. Yeah. I just want to say that that passage describing, I don't know if it was Myrtle or Gaffanillon, but arms that except for the blue fur could pass for those of a middleweight champion. Uh That's a very (laughs) specific knowledge of like exactly the muscle definition of a middleweight bodybuilding champion. Wow, that sounds like the kind of knowledge someone might have if he, uh, you know, might also be interested in guys just saying. Not that I also like to think case. that the ghostwriter wrote heavyweight champion and Michael Grant came in and was like, excuse me, Andalite <laughs> arms are very small and changed it to middle. <laughs> Can I read the rest of the description? Please. But yeah, please. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to start with this just because please now I, you I have to, to suffer from yeah. it too. <clears throat> so this is, he has turned from a possum into a Andalite. I'm sorry, what, where on the, like, the, the gay body types is possum? Well, <laughs> apparently it is the kind that has a monstrous tail, long and thick. You, and should, <laughs> you should start that over in case we want to cut my question. The emphasis there was You're welcome. on point. I, I thought about it, now all of you have to do. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> uh, 
So this is the Andalite starts to walk towards Axe. Each hubcap-sized hoof clomping the dewy ground, sending little clods of soil flying, field mouse scurrying. So first of all, hubcap-sized hoof. The only place we've seen wow. that before is the cover of Visser, where we yep. made fun of the fact that their hooves were ridiculously big. So mm-hmm. this person saw the cover of Visser and was like, that is what Andalites look like, even though incorrect. I know that Gaffanillon has a metal album where clomping the dewy ground is one of his <laughs> really heartfelt things. Yes, I love that. Uh, he's massive. He's bigger than any Andalite, bigger than Elfengor, bigger than Alarin, who's Visser 3. He's a big guy. Shoulders like a fullback, a chest that was cut like a competition-level bodybuilder, arms that could pass for a middleweight champion, as John just read. Even the usually small and delicate, many-fingered Andalite hands were broad and toughened, like those of a carpenter or construction worker. Most disconcerting, from the almost human waist to the rounded, deer- or horse-like haunches, the guy looked like a Clydesdale. A really big one. I'm sorry. What? We've been getting so many, like, Andalite deer comparisons. This one's a Clydesdale. Is this like a, like, I don't know, are there different species or races of Andalites? Like, yeah. is this, Breeds, like, what? like dogs, maybe. <laughs> like centaurs with different kinds of horses. Like, this doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. There it's not like variation. any of the comparison. Yeah, not no, only that, silly. if you're going to be a really, really Clydesdale big Andalite, uh-huh. Your job is not fighter pilot. No, it's not. Yeah. Fighter pilots are, tend to be pretty small because you have to fit in the fighter pilot. Little cockpit. Little. Yeah. I've watched Star Wars. I know things. You have to be tiny fit in the thing. Tom Cruise is short guy. Greatest fighter pilot. Pirate pilot. Pirate pilot. Beef out and It's really hard. <laughs> uh, greatest fighter pilot we have ever seen exactly. since the Cold War. All I'm saying is, this doesn't make any sense. I don't understand Andalite society at all, even as a comparison to the Americans, mm-hmm. where if you are built like that, you don't live in submarines, which is our closest mm-hmm. comparison mm-hmm. to space flight. So I'm just, I think it's silly. Well, he had to join the military so that he could bond with other men and be secretly gay with them. I mean, yeah, it, as is military tradition, but mm-hmm. still. So what do you guys think about the comparison between Gaffanillon and Myrtle and Elfengor and Lauren? Go is there <laughs> that they basically flee their oh, yeah. responsibilities mm-hmm. to be on Earth mm-hmm. and be together and find themselves drawn back into the conflict? Someone asked a question on Twitter today that was not in regard to this, but what were they? Oh, it was in regard to Axe being so anti-Eldrea. And I was like, we'll discuss this in the mailbag, but maybe we should discuss it now. It was the question of, like, would Axe have been against what his brother did if he knew about it? Which I guess now he does, but we never got his reaction to it. Um, which part of what his brother did? Like, oh, the, running like, away from running the war, away. choosing so a different body. Imagine, imagine Axe comes to, like, war-torn Earth. And the Elemis never reset the timeline. The Animorphs mm-hmm. never existed. Mm-hmm. And Axe encounters Alan Fangor, his brother, as a Nothlet, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. raising Tobias with Lauren or whatever. Axe would be so upset and like furious and like mm-hmm. maybe they could work through it. Yeah. Them working through it, great fic idea. Please someone write it. But yes, that sounds amazing. I, I think, th- no question. And so it's sort of like the yeah. ends justify the means. Like, who cares what he did as long as he became this awesome fighter pilot right. guy who saved the Andalites mm-hmm. and everyone loves. Like, right. Axe probably thinks that the whole Alan Fangor thing was like a shadowy chapter that, thank goodness, Elfengor moved beyond. Right. 
I don't think Axe would be in a place where he could work through something like that. If this whole thing hadn't happened, mm-hmm. he would not be stranded oh, on yeah. Earth. Oh, yeah. He no, would I mean, not have this sort of, like, contact with humans and with mm-hmm. other species of the sort that... It would definitely be a long journey. Be a, he would be a typical Andalite, heiress or warrior. Not sure where he would be at this point, but, you know. Yeah, I don't think he would... It, it wouldn't go well. He wouldn't it have the emotional well. wherewithal to be able to make it through something right. like that. Yeah. Right. And he yeah. wouldn't, like, Elfinger wouldn't be the same person. He'd be like, what happened to my brother who I never met? He, like, disappeared. He probably wouldn't believe it at all for a right. while. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. And Lance Man. I don't like him. Yeah. I'm actually getting a little bit worried about the end game yeah. of these books because we've seen Andalites appear three or four times, and they have been useless every single time, <laughs> if not right, outright traitors. Not helpful. You know who's not useless? Jake. Jake is not useless. Jake stands up to Andalites, and it's so great. I love it so much every time. It is very good. Would you like to say more about what happens in this book? Oh, I would love to. Yeah, so Jake is over at Gaffinillan's house, and because Gaffinillan's like... Wants to meet the big Andalite prince because he's going to try to sell him to Fister 3. And Jake just walks in, like, apparently alone and refuses to give anything away. Like, Gaffinellan's, like, digging for info. Jake looked steadily at Henry McClellan. The dome ship was almost completely destroyed, he answered noncommittally. And then... Gaffin- so to be clear, Henry McClellan is oh, yes, Gaffinellan. Yes. <laughs> I realized the name Henry is going to be used a couple more times. <laughs> And Henry says, Jake, it is a good name. Is it a shortened version of something else, like Axe for Axe It's just what people call me. Jake was giving the guy nothing. And then Gaffinillan tries to get him to demorph. Why haven't you demorphed? Jake smiled. I prefer to speak with you in this form. But you insult a fellow Andalite by not revealing your true self, Gaffinillan coaxed, his own eyes smiling the way Andalites do. My true physical self is irrelevant. Themes! <laughs> <laughs> Prince Jake! Gaffinillan's voice was forceful now, almost threatening. I insist you demorph from this ridiculous morph after you explain what you really want from me. Ah, it's so great. And then, then Gaffinillan points a shredder right at Jake and says, now you will do it as I say. What will it be, Prince Jake? If you think I will show you mercy because you appear as a child, you are mistaken. Jake stood perfectly still. What if I am a child, he said calmly, as if the shredder were not leveled a few feet from his face. It's just so good. <laughs> okay, you gotta, can you just keep reading? Because I, <laughs> I love this so much. Okay. The Animorphs are the best. Okay. They're so cool. All right. <laughs> Back up on the way, Jake, I said. Gaffinillan's tail twitched. You bore me with this game. For an Andalite warrior, you are not particularly clever. Rawr! From the direction of the greenhouse came the menacing roar of a grizzly, the lonely howl of a wolf, the blood-curdling shriek, screech of a raptor. <laughs> Gaffinillan jerked toward the sounds. And then there was one loud ba-boom as Rachel crashed through one of the walls like a baseball crashing through a window, but making a lot more mess. (laughs) Cassie, Axe, and Tobias followed almost daintily through the rubble. I'm sorry we bore you, Gaffinillan, Jake said calmly, but we're bored too, tired of your evasions and half-truths. So if it's okay with you, this is the moment of reckoning. Time to come clean. (laughs) so good. It occurs to me that Jake will be a really good disappointed dad one day. (gasps) I'm sorry we bore you. That's the moment of reckoning. That will time to do your homework. I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. That's going to fit right in with his nondescript middle-aged man. It's okay with you. You need to become a better person starting now. 
Marco will be, because of course Jake and Marco will be together, you know, somehow in this moment that I've decided. Uh, Marco will be like the cool dad who's like, I don't know, we can probably convince him to buy this video game. And Jake's like, I'm disappointed in both of you now. <laughs> Marco's going to be the cool dad who's like, hey kiddo, is it okay if me and Jake get married? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I won't do it unless you give your permission. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'll buy that. <laughs> Don't worry, they'll also be married to Cassie. Well, sure. Obviously. Double wedding. Probably didn't even need to say that. Um, so, okay. I have some other, like, Andalite things. One is that Gaffinella and Myrtle, it's one of the plot holes that doesn't super matter because it's just the premise of the book, but it bothered <laughs> me to a degree that doesn't make a lot of sense, <laughs> is that there, there's been so much BS from earlier in the series about, like, things that affect Andalites or detect, like, foreign metals or, like, other substances. Oh, yeah. And so, like... The fact that there have been two Andalites from Axe's crew in this town the whole time is so silly. So did we, did we ever have a thing that detected Andalites? What about, why didn't they hear Axe's message back in book four, right? They there probably was like, heard they and did. didn't do anything about it. Yeah, well, but why doesn't it come up, you know, like, they're like, oh, oh you're Axe Like, Oh, well, they probably, I mean, they probably had just crashed too and were like you know healing yeah yeah Yeah, they were probably not in great shape Uh, but like the if he's morphing right the valik would have gone Mm. after him Uh right like the the helmicrons detecting morphing energy right it comes back yeah so this is more problematic for enemies of the animorphs the the animorphs themselves can't figure any of this stuff out oh yeah 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 it's just like why have why have mr three should have figured this out Months ago. Right. When the Animorphs told the Helmicrons, like, there's one more Morph-capable person on Earth. When the um, Helmicron ship in 39 was trying to detect Morphers. Exactly. Yeah. And we know he morphs because he's a possum. Yeah, like every day. He's heavy, right? He he has to morph every two hours because he's like, Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) He's even worse than I thought. Okay. But it doesn't... So it doesn't... It's a plot hole. It's fine. But... So I'm not understanding, but we're... Gaffinillin and Myrtle on the same dome ship as Axe? I thought they That's were. That's a strong implication. I thought that I they were, like, probably in smaller ships that crashed. Because they're sh- the or they ships that crashed into They were part of the fighters with the dome ship. Okay. Yeah. They were part of the war party. Yeah. Okay. They were in fighters that yeah. got stuck together and should right. have gone down and crashed and died together. Right. And then they luckily somehow didn't. Sure. Mm-hmm. That, part I, that part I understood, but I didn't realize that they were in the same... Um, dome ship party uh, as him. I thought it was like another one, and then I was confused I don't about think the time. There ever was another one. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes more sense. Okay, cool. Yikes. Oh, but yeah, they have all these Andalite like the things that they salvage from their ships. Why can't the Yerk sensors detect them? And wasn't like the like wasn't there something with the Chi or like the Pemelite crystal about finding like alien metals or was it the Area Fifty? No, it was. There was some plot about like finding stuff on the they, surface. Yeah, because they from space found yeah. the box in the construction site for, or they didn't find. Well, they the box didn't in find the it, and we were like, "Why didn't they find it, it if yeah. they can sense it?" Yeah, yeah. so something. I'm still mad about I think that. That was introduced in the fake area 51. So yeah. maybe Gaffinillin lined his house with cinder blocks, which is what kept them from detecting the yes, Escafil device. device. Yeah. So that that tracks. Maybe it yeah, is cool. Gaffinillin's whole like defense setup is pretty cool. He has, like, a force field around his greenhouse, and, like, when Marco gets caught, he, like, immediately, like, shoots him out of the sky. It's pretty cool. Can we talk about his house in general? Yeah. The greenhouse is so cool. I, I My one memory of this book is I was like, oh, yeah, it's the one with the gay Andalites, and there's a greenhouse. <laughs> I'm so into their house. 
I'm so into it. They live in the suburbs of California. They live in a ranch house that has a, they have this beautiful greenhouse in the back and it's clear that Gaffanillon really likes plants. He Mm -hmm. makes plants from the Andalite homeworld, question mark, but also has these like beautiful flowers. It's really lovely. He has bees that come in to pollinate it. But their actual home is like picture perfect 1950s style, beautiful, beautiful house. In particular, this kitchen, I want this kitchen. (laughs) I want it so much. Uh, They step into a kitchen straight out of Martha Stewart Living or House Beautiful or Architectural Digest. All magazines Marco definitely reads. (laughs) And he says, it's, Axe formally says, your home is an accurate and attractive example of a human suburban dwelling. (laughs) Thank you. And then the kitchen itself is a veritable shrine to modern domestic technology. A sub-zero fridge, microwave, Viking cooktop and oven, state-of-the-art Bosch dishwasher, Cuisinart, kitchen aid mixer, and everything was sparkling clean. It's just, it's like this beautiful home. He's got pink silk upholstery and white carpeting (laughs) and... Like, weird, weird artwork choices. There's a sad clown that made me upset. What was with the artwork? Unclear. That was very suspiciously specific. (laughs) Where you get that artwork from Mm -hmm. is the back of a Cadillac on black velvet. (laughs) So specific. Do you think that, like, Apple Grant or the ghostwriter, like, knew someone with this terrible art and was making fun of them via this book? (laughs) Maybe they were trying to, like, hype their friend's artwork. <laughs> By insulting no, it. No, I, I think it's such a good detail. I, don't, I didn't think it was weird. No, it is, it is kind of great that, like, these Andalites don't necessarily have a sense of, like, human taste or, like, aesthetic. And they've, like, gotten all this fancy stuff for their home, but they don't clearly don't have a sense of what normal art would be or yeah, what but, humans would consider tasteful art. Marco says, you clearly have never used this kitchen. There's no dirty dishes anywhere, mm-hmm. except... Actually, we find out later that they do use the kitchen. And the reason I know that is Gaffanillon uh, had stacked cookies that he baked into several glass mason jars. And he also cleans the bathroom for some reason. So those cookies, though, (laughs) like could just be bought cookies. Do you think it, they're like a their, hologram? Like, no, but they I smell, think it's just he their smells the chocolate and the raisins. I, oh, yes. man. But like, I have... Why? <laughs> what are they there for? Do you eat them with your hooves? You like, don't have friends in come somebody over? Looks Why in. do you need... In the kitchen? In the, 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 the kitchen will be field? like, oh no, there are no <laughs> cookie jars in this kitchen. <laughs> He's a human morph. Why wouldn't he love cookies? <laughs> oh, you're right. He's human all the time. Yeah. Oh, of course. You're right. You're right. Okay. It, no, it's he morphs Andalite to use their, like, Andalite weed. Yeah, definitely Andalite weed. You guys have weed. any? <laughs> We're on I, the air, Jenny. <laughs> I, I do want to talk hey, about... Hey, you had whiskey last time. Yeah, I did. Not on the air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting the, dis- the description of Ilsipar root is the way that I sort of pronounced it. But it's described sort of later as it is a mild intoxicant taken in a manner... Somewhat like humans take tea or coffee each morning. But earlier on, the two of them just stood there staring at each other high enough (laughs) to not notice Marco traipsing around this greenhouse looking at all the plants. Acquiring bees. Somehow somehow catching a bee with his hands and acquiring it. And then tromping back to them and being like... 
hey guys, what what, what you doing? <laughs> so, like, also, how did Axe react when Gaffanillon brought up that oh, he had yeah. this stuff? He was definitely jonesing for some. Do you want to do you want to tell us about his reaction there? Oh, let's see. Gaffanillon said heartily, changing the subject, will you honor me by sharing some Ilsapar root? Here's the thing. When Axe is in human morph, he can't get enough of cinnamon buns. I mean, it's frightening. Well, I saw the same crazed look flit across his normally expressionless Andalite face. The look that says, quote, give it to me now or I will be forced to hurt you, unquote. <laughs> Thank you. He said carefully. <laughs> I have not had Ilsapar root since leaving the homeworld. <laughs> I like how your posture changed for that. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to like... Oh, yeah. yeah. You've got to embody the character. Yes, yeah, this of course. This is so good. This is some solid Andalite world building. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it definitely is weed, right? But I also have to say, describing it as like coffee or tea makes me a lot more sympathetic. Because if I crash on a foreign world where they do not have coffee or tea... After not as long as Axe has spent, I would have been like, oh, you have coffee or tea? Wonderful. You're going to give that to me immediately (laughs) or one of us is going to die right here. (laughs) So I'm with Axe on this. Poor Axe. Maybe this is why he goes so crazy about the uh, cinnamon buns. He just like, he's feeling really deprived. Yeah. He hasn't had coffee in like a couple (laughs) of years now. That explains a lot about his grumpiness. That's why he's grumpy. He's been without his somehow magical coffee. So we also learned that about another aspect of how thought speak works, because mm. Gaffinon and Myrtle are, they've been friends for so long. Ultra short. That friends. They're, <laughs> that the air quotes work really well. Again, Guy in pals. <laughs> no, 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 but it's really cool. They've been friends for so long that their thought speak range mm-hmm. has extended further over time. Yeah. So no matter where they are on the planet, they they can't understand each other's words, but they kind of have a they feel each other's presence. Does it say they can't understand each other's Unless words? we are on different planets, we can hear each other's thoughts speak. Not perfectly. Often exact words are not clear, mm. but the sound of Myrtle's voice is always with me. It helps oh. me to know he is alive. So they have a fan fiction bond, is what's going on here, just to be clear. Wait, okay. explain that. Oh, bonds are totally a trope in fan fiction where, like, you know, two people will, like, form a mental connection and then they'll have this, like, telepathy that leads to all sorts of angst because, you know, maybe they get separated or one of them is in trouble and the other one knows about it or maybe they didn't want to be bonded or, you know, they don't realize they're bonded. There's a lot of potential there. But, it's like the thing yeah. in Jane bond type of Yes, it's like the twins, or yeah. like in Jane Eyre when yeah. Rochester calls her name and she hears him, even though she's really oh really yeah, away. yep, yep, yeah, it's a thing. So yeah, but that may, that has serious implications. <laughs> well, right, so you're describing it as like it's a trope, right? Yeah, but it's like it's also like do all Andalites who hang out together all the time have this? Like, what's the you know the animorphs? Do you don't think seem... they use it for military purposes? Actually, I bet the animorphs thought speak ranges have been getting bigger. <gasps> Because I was just re- that would be so cool. Because I was I was just rereading um, or listening to the visitor on audiobook, and it's they make such there. a big deal yeah. about how when she's in the basement and like getting taken out, Tobias just happens to not be close enough. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that kind of like yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense because you know it makes sense from just writing the series that you would need to loosen that restriction if you yeah. originally. Yeah, especially if they're all flying close. as birds and aren't, can't clump together. But like, it seems totally valid that 
the Animorphs have just kind of like been on the same thought speak wavelength for long enough yeah. that actually they're I love that. Mm. I like that theory. Also, I really love that these two gay Andalites are so closely linked. But yeah, if this is a thing that Andalites can do, I bet the military does exploit it. Like, I bet maybe that's you would try were... to recruit pairs of people yeah. who are really close, or if you know you don't have them, you try to get like wrists to connect with each other like that and hope that they would you know get this sort of bond. That's why they were flying mm-hmm. in formation together because they didn't mm-hmm. need to use their yeah. radios; they could yeah. just thought speak to each other in the different mm. spaceship fighter plane things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You can't see this because it's a podcast, but every time I say fighter plane thing, I make a steering motion. <laughs> I'm so glad you described that. To make it clear. Because I find it really helpful. <laughs> oh, what is great talking about? Oh, fighter plane thing. Okay. Yeah. Just for our listeners. Yeah, I, I don't know. I really liked them. I first thought it was like a Burton or anything, but I'm glad that it actually became canonized by Michael Grant. You mean like how Bert and Ernie are also canonically gay? Yes. Okay. I mean, yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but again, I, I mean, the way that he did it is a little disappointing. And I know oh, that it's the 90s, definitely. and it's not like you can it come out and say... not the 90s. It is 2000 when this book came out. Yes, actually, we should do <gasps> that in a second. But, yes, 15 years later, he's like, yeah... They were definitely gay, and that's that's fine. No problem with well, that. So but this is an interesting. Did you read like Michael Grant's essay about how he's like the best, the most diverse author, the most diverse ever? author ever? Yes, I did. Wow. Yeah. We, we might need to we might need to save that for like a series end read and discuss. Yes, yes, for sure. Uh, pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. Mailbag. Do I want to know? I, I mean, emphatically you, don't. Yes. That's yes, I do. But um, yes. Yeah, it's not a good look. It's, oh man! His argument is basically representation isn't hard. I've been doing good representation for years, yeah, and it's uh, very tone deaf. Yeah. Wow! Yeah, and obviously we've been like y'all have been talking about how a lot of the rest representation here is very skin deep at best, mm-hmm. um, quite literally. And yeah, his essay is like these are the stats on the different diversity candidates that I've put in my books, um, Body. roughly. <laughs> It's, I mean, that's maybe a little unfair, uh, but also not I also don't feel that bad about being unfair to him, because it's not a good essay. It makes him look really bad. It's also, I mean, there's been so much pushback against J.K. Rowling for many reasons, but the thing where she's like, oh yeah, Dumbledore's gay, I'm going to tell you after the series is over, like, that's not great. He's doing the same thing here. It's... Yes. It's something that has really come into the but, public eye. Like, you know, you it doesn't count if you don't do it in the series itself. It. But, like, I do remember, and I don't, I think this is probably Michael Grant, it might have been Catherine Applegate, saying in one of their interviews in, like, 2011 or 2013 or something, being asked specifically about queer representation in the series. And the answer was just like, oh, yeah, well, we had the gay Andalites. We wish we'd done, like, in retrospect, we wish we'd done more. It was like, like a little that. bit, it was yeah. like, it was off our radar. And when we did that, we sort of felt like we couldn't do more. So I remember. Oh, reading, yeah, because this is just really heavy handed gayness. Right, right, right. So <laughs> I, I remember there was some answer before I read that Michael Grant essay. But I was like, oh, like, they, they seem like they were owning it a little bit. Yeah. But I, okay. you know, so I don't know. I, and I, I can I can respect that as an answer. Like, yeah. I don't have to love it, but I can understand it. Yeah, like, it's not. It wasn't in two thousand, if yeah. you were going to write a book with like a obviously gay main character in a middle grade series, that was going to turn out really poorly for your series. Yeah. Like, Although they had a torture book, 
I guess. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I I feel like if right, they wanted to do it, they could. But like in the nineties, it's, it's still like being gay is about sex, right? There's yeah. no sex in these books, mm. right? Like that's it's like it would be taboo for that terrible reason. Yeah, that's that was probably probably what went into it. I don't know. Frog and Toad exists, so I don't feel like <laughs> exactly. also I remember us talking about in a previous book. They're like. You, how would you treat some gay kid, right, as, like, an example? And we called that out as oh, yeah. something. It's like, oh, hey, and then I was, like, pretty good for, like, saying that. So it's, mm-hmm. like, it's not like it was completely off their radar. Yeah, no, they knew that it was a thing. Yeah. I feel that I'm forgetting some, like, important stages in LGBTQ literature from middle graders, but I mostly know about YA literature, and uh-huh. I'm just feeling dumb for not being able to think of any, any other examples. On the spot. Yeah. All right, listeners, if you know about queer middle grade lit from pre-2000, let us know. Yeah. Yeah. Someone out there has written papers on this. Probably someone who's listening to this. Let us know. We like you guys. Thanks for writing papers about cool stuff. (laughs) Do we want to talk about some of the other character relationships? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. the, The whole ending sequence is like this awesome... It's basically the Animorphs just knowingly getting themselves into a super dangerous battle situation and then, mm-hmm. like, saving each other's lives in really cool, like, end of an Avengers movie-style ways yeah. over yeah. and over and over again. Which is, like, it's kind of a fun set piece. It's in, like, a spooky rail yard and, like... The a graveyard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but there are several specific character interactions that happened that I really like. So like mm-hmm. when Tobias, like Marco basically has to do this thing where he's the only one who can get to Myrtle's truck in time. And Tobias is kind of like scouting for him. And he's like, okay, jump now. He's like, go now, buddy. Like they're being, they're just being like super <laughs> friendly and like helping each other out. And then like Marco or Rachel asks for help and Marco goes over and like saves her ass. And then later she throws a whole train to like stop the truck as an elephant, and <laughs> she's like, I'm always saving you, Marco, blah, blah, blah. I just, I love it. It's all it's all really good stuff. It is. There's a great moment where Marco tells Rachel that he's found her soulmate because there's <laughs> one Marco who attacks all of them by <laughs> There's some nice Marco, Marco and Rachel friendship before that also, yeah. which... I really liked for multiple reasons, including because Rachel comes across as a reasonable human being. Like, you know, a little bit reckless, but like, like a human. Yeah. Unlike could have been done in this series. And thank goodness we haven't, you know. <laughs> Thankfully we got anywhere else. Dodge that bullet. Yeah. Ooh. But yeah, Rachel's like figures out because, oh, because she's smart and knows stuff. She's like, you're planning something, Marco. And Marco's like, yeah, I'm going to sneak in. Rachel's like, so I'm going to come with you because you need someone to help. And also because she likes doing stuff, you know, taking action, protecting yeah. people. And it's just really nice. She keeps him from getting eaten by an insect. It's great. It, it's a really good, the two of them kind of understand each other's mm-hmm. motivations. And one of their primary motivations that they have together is making sure their friends are safe. Oh. For Marco, it's Pretty specifically, Jake. But, you know, for Rachel, <laughs> A little bit axe in this. A little bit axe. But he's very protective of them in a, mm-hmm. like, I want to make sure that they are going in with the best information possible mm-hmm. rather than going in blind. So I'm going to go do this stupid thing. They're also both very practical and proactive in mm-hmm. different ways. Like, they have mm-hmm. very different approaches, but they both have that in common. And I think that, that those two traits make them good allies and slightly dangerous to the Animorphs. Ooh. Because... 
this is one of two capers that Marco goes on in this book where he like he cuts a corner and is like I don't really need to talk to Jake about this like the group doesn't need to decide right so with him and Rachel they're just like eh you know I could probably convince them but if I go and Rachel has my back it's fine it'll be fine like I'll just do it like let's just let's just get the information and once I have the information I can ask for forgiveness and that's fine uh-huh. right and then earlier as soon as he finds out about he sees the the Myrtle video. He's like out to the woods visiting Axe and Tobias. Maybe he's so worried about Axe that he just has to get there right away. But he's just like, yeah, we're going to go off on this mission, just the three of us, and it's fine. Like, we'll mm-hmm, be fine. Mm-hmm, we don't need to bother mm-hmm. the other animorphs. Yeah. And Jake is like, he's like a little annoyed about it, but yeah. I think he mostly forgives them or is like, okay, well, I'm going to work with it. Or he doesn't see value yeah. in, in like demanding respect or whatever, but... You know, Unlike in, some people who could have existed in some books that might have been <laughs> but didn't, even, fortunately. I was even that <laughs> But, like, because this book isn't about that, the, the plans don't go wrong right. in a way that matters. Yeah. But it's not good. Even though and it was Marco weird. breaks two of my rules about morphing, I don't have that many rules. Why are you breaking two of them in one book? <laughs> Stop that. At least nothing weird happened with morphing that he didn't tell anyone about. That's true. But the other rules. But no morphing hive animals. And, and test out your morphs. You ha- you can't do it for the first time on the mission. And don't go alone. He tried to go alone. He did try to go alone. So he tried to break three. Rachel stopped him from the third one. He lampshaded the other two. He was like, yeah, hive animals yeah. are bad. Maybe this one will be less bad. And then he's like, <laughs> it's less bad. Conveniently. <laughs> Yeah, but that, yeah, it's, this is what annoys me sometimes in books that fortunately did not exist, for example, where, like, they'll do something and they'll be like, (laughs) hugely heavy handed consequences for something that, like, they do all the time and it's fine just because it's not the point of the book. Yeah. And, like, Marco Axe and Tobias, their plans are really bad. Oh my gosh, so bad. They're supposed to be the special ops team. And they screw up so many times in a row. Tobias gets killed, basically, except (laughs) not for plot reasons, right? Marco Marco demorphs into human in front of someone who's a potential enemy. Mm -hmm. They get fooled by... (laughs) I can't remember his name. They get fooled by Gaffin Millen walking into a cave, morphing a human, (laughs) and walking back out. And they're like, this must be a year pool entrance. I will crawl inside the cave and find... Oh no! Nothing. <laughs> it's where he keeps his human clothes. Oh, what? Wow. What? The thing where Axe and Marco demorph, and then Tobias is like, "No," because there's a possum growing into an andalite, and it's too late. They've already demorphed, and Tobias is like, "Don't worry, I'll attack him, and you guys can get away." It's like maybe talk to him first. You don't know yet that he's an enemy. There was this idea that just never really seemed plausible. Like, maybe they're actually Yerks. It was like, why Why would that be the case? Why is that? I get get that they need to be paranoid about everyone. But, like, why? But they're actually, like, not paranoid enough. (laughs) In my personal opinion. Because there's, in contrast to 38, where Jake's reaction to hearing that there are new Andalites around is very sensibly, like... I do not trust these people. The last time we met Andalites, it went very poorly. We had 38 where, hey, it went very poorly. That was Uh not a great situation. Lots of betrayal, all bad. And this time, there's a bit where they're telling Jake about it for the first time. And Jake's like, we should meet with them. What? Why? What? Well, he did meet with the ones in 38. 
I feel like you can't not meet with them, or well, yeah, at least but, try to. Yeah, you, you gotta do something. You can't just be like, well, I'm going to ignore Yeah, this. yeah, but he's like, but he specifically says, like, there's always the possibility that these two Andalites could become part of our team. That is such That's a new. weird assumption. Yeah. <laughs> you have the option to bring so many people onto your team all the time. Because, you know, you can probably vet that most people aren't controllers. You have an Escafil device. Yeah. Can you vet that most people aren't controllers? Because the math in this book is really concerning. <laughs> 10 to 20% of people that could have seen this show worldwide oh, that's are wow. infested. Although, I think it might be local. I think it's local TV. Yeah. Okay, fine. 10 to 20% of people, they did say, well, I, I don't know. Maybe. It's probably local because I don't, the Yerks haven't spread that much. Unsolved also, Mysteries was at the very least nationally <laughs> syndicated. So, like, if they're thinking 10 to okay, 20% of the U.S., that's Marco like... is canonically very bad at math. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, he does Just think saying. that. Yeah, I have other math things, too. But... He does think that six people are 0.1% of the entire population of the world. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> No I didn't even bother. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Like, it, it is. You're oh, off no. by several order of magnitude. <laughs> <laughs> so in in 2000. Wait, if we take that as the if we take that as the number of people in the world that is 10 to 20 percent actually that concerning. I think it's more. Well, okay. Well, I mean, no. I can't do the math that quickly. That's like but, twelve. It's like anyway, six hundred to twelve hundred people. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. fine. John, what's the math on? So, this? in two thousand, point one percent of the planet um, was six point one million people. So the six of them <laughs> off is, by just about a million. Cleanly. Point zero 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 nine eight percent of the planet <laughs> my point is mark is not great at math <laughs> his stepmother is so disappointed uh, in him. Uh, i love that i love oh, that yeah, so much. Is the math teacher. <laughs> yeah it's Maybe rough on him purposefully bad at math <laughs> He just doesn't oh, do any homework because he's busy saving the world. Let's sure. do 90s references. <laughs> John, you want to get us started? <laughs> oh, well, no. So the one, the one 90s reference is that uh, when flipping through the TV, Marco is flipping past SpongeBob SquarePants, mm-hmm. which is fine. SpongeBob SquarePants did premiere May 1st, 1999. Okay. So it is, in fact, a 90s reference. No problem <laughs> there. But I want to ask you a question. How old are the Animorphs? Jenny? So, I think they're 14 or 15 at this point. I think they're probably 15 at this point. I think that the book series... Actually, you know what? I don't think we can talk about this yet. What? Okay. Sorry. The, I, I, I think that there are some inconsistencies, but I don't think I can really get into it yet. Okay. It's because of the well, reset button, isn't it? <laughs> it's really hard to know what age they are because they're like multiple ages at the same time because of the reset button. Yes. Well, I will note for... Uh, at least they're not older than 15. In, in non-spoiler yeah. reasons, or for non-spoiler math, if it's like 1999 now, and this whole thing got started in 96, they got to be 16 by this point. They were in middle school in book 30. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it would certainly be very surprising if these hey, books were in business. Maybe they're, 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 they're canonically failing all of these because But what about Rachel? Rachel's still doing well. Rachel's I don't know. That was her last semester. <laughs> Rachel's, Rachel's in, in the college, house. right? <laughs> I just assumed that Rachel's probably books. told everyone she's like getting homeschooled or she's in some like gifted program and like, doesn't even have to go to school anymore. That would such a good idea. 
Um, I just assume that the books take place in the year in which they were written. So I think that's kind of true, but I think that doesn't necessarily track to the internal timeline. And that the animals yeah. are exactly my age at that year. So And remember, these... Are they your age? No, they're older than 85. you. They're older than you. But, but I was 86, and you're 85, right? So they're exactly your age. If well, they're 15 and if they were, But if they were 13 in 1996, they're not my age. So I, like, I think the books I do take this. place in the years that they happen, <laughs> but I think... That actually covers fewer years than that. Maths are hard. But I don't really have evidence of that yet. Sorry. For me as for Marco. Until the ending. When you have evidence for it. Uh, what is the spoiler? The, it's, it's, it's not a big deal. <laughs> Trolling me. <laughs> well, don't you want to be able to check off that spot on your bingo card? That spot on my bingo card. Um, okay. A couple of other 90s things. Mm-hmm. This one was the one that I really enjoyed. This TV show ran and Marco would like to get a copy of it. So uh, he would like. <laughs> so what he says is, we don't have time to wait around for the rerun or to send a check to the station in order to buy a copy. That so is how you got good. copies of things in the late nineties. You would mail a physical. Ch- you would write a check and you would put write a letter a and you would put what it in an envelope that? and you would mail it to the station and they would mail you back a VHS. Like, like you mean you would like like draw a picture of a check on a computer and email it, it it's a little bit like emoji. that except instead what it is is you tiny pieces of paper that mean something huh for no good reason yeah you mean here. cash <laughs> <laughs> what is cash <laughs> you mean that, you mean venmo what is venmo <laughs> <laughs> and then x uh, has Magical Andalite DVR. Axe has DVR, you guys! He tapes everything on every channel. He set up a CD-ROM thing to the VCR. Anyway, it works. What? He set up a CD-ROM to the VCR. First of all, those two things do not talk to each other. And second of all, where are you storing these and how are you reading them? (laughs) All very silly. I would say that it's not magic, but there is a thing where they can't see the footage very well because it's, you know, it's not very good footage. And Marco asks Axe, can you clarify the footage? And Axe is like, no, not on this thing that I got from somewhere else. And so Tobias gets really close <laughs> to the screen. Enhanced. Because he has really good eyes, right? So if the, like, image isn't very good, sure. he can still see it somehow. If he gets close up to it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so... I, there's an unfortunate there's an unfortunate continuity error in the Tobias Act Shormship, which is that birds really can't watch TV. Oh no! Their vision is good enough that likely they they can see each. You know, it's like you know faster frames per second or whatever, mm-hmm. right? So they can oh. see each frame getting written and erased as the TV goes by. So it's going to be really hard for Do Tobias. You think- he only morphs his eyes so that he can look at the TV. Oh. <laughs> no, why are you all in that? That's horrifying. No more animals with human eyes. It happens once, never again. No, it happens every two hours. Tobias is watching TV. <laughs> he accidentally forgets to morph back and just ends up as a bird with human eyes. <laughs> that would That's explain like- why he doesn't just morph owl in the end of this yes. book. When he's, like, the eyes in the sky over this. And then it's too dark and he can't see. He's like, it's too dark. I was like, why don't you just acquire an owl? I have a solution for that. And Marco thinks, even Tobias isn't perfect. And I was just like, Marco, how could you? Lies. (laughs) Tobias is perfect. 
I do like that that implies that he thought Tobias was perfect before. Oh. <laughs> and he was correct. He has been paying a lot of attention to his moodiness and rhetorical questions. Interesting. Uh, Tobias had some really email line everyone. about loyalty. Do you guys... Oh, yes! Yeah, so good. That was so weirdly out of context. It was. <laughs> it's just his foreshadowing his, his moodiness. So they're talking about... Um, <laughs> he, oh, Marco is basically being like, oh, like... Uh, maybe there is no Myrtle. Maybe he killed Myrtle, right? Like, he's just trying to be like, we don't yeah. know anything. We don't know anything. And Axe is like, well, you know, Marco's right. It could be true. We don't know anything. Loyalty, Tobias said quietly, enigmatically, is all there is. <laughs> what does it and mean? No, no one asks any, qu- no ask any questions. It doesn't get followed <laughs> up on. It just happens. Yes. It just sits there and we move on. <laughs> and then, but Marco does... Well, kind of call back to it towards the end. He's kind of doing the, like, sum up at the end bit. And he says, uh, what had either Andalite done for the for the Yerks? Nothing, except exhibit a depth of loyalty totally puzzling, totally incomprehensible to Visser Three and his minions. I mean, they were really loyal to each other. That was great. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I... I mean, Rachel's thing is loyalty, right? Maybe maybe Tobias is just contemplating his relationship with Rachel. He's just, he's really having weighty thoughts about his torture time. He has a lot of weighty thoughts. Um, Can I read his other weighty thoughts at the Please. end? Please. I love Tobias, you guys. I know it's not a big surprise, but I'm going to tell you again. At the end, Tobias is actually the one who helps Axe to realize what kind of a jerk he's being. Mm-hmm. And I mean, um, Axe sort of realizes it a tiny yes. bit. Axe realizes it a little bit. And what he's trying to express is that for him and his culture, this isn't quote unquote normal or natural to show concern for a, a vicol, vicol, whatever. And Tobias says, Okay, I'm getting a complex over here. I'm a nothlet, a freak, whatever. My best friend is an alien with blue fur. My girlfriend is human when she isn't in war. How about we don't talk about normal anymore? Or average, or natural, please. Yes. Yeah, that's Tobias great. Tobias gets it. Hell, that yes, Tobias. That is a message. <laughs> yeah, and he didn't have to, like, do the, you know, the more you know after school special. He just, this is who I am. I Stop talking about this. Yeah. Unfortunately, why... then we do get the... Yeah, right. Right. Marco, so. he's a flawed human. Tobias is perfect. So, <laughs> Except for the genocide. Okay, well, except for that. <laughs> he's, he's, he's perfect in this time, in, you know, modern day. Uh, yeah, I was like, going to jokingly defend him, but yeah, no. that's true. <laughs> so can we talk about who Marco is in this book? Sure. There's some really good Marco characterization. Mm-hmm. Right, so in the first chapter, we get... This characterization of Marco, where he he kind of well, he does some bad math, uh, <laughs> and then he talks about the animorphs, and he says, you know, there's a lot of issues we have to deal with. Issues far too complex for the six of us to waste a lot of time thinking about, or maybe we've become far too complex for them to matter too much anymore. Whoa! Um, and then re- he talks about how they they're living on the edge, high risk, blah blah blah. Potentials have been realized up the wazoo. See, this war comes down to life or death, freedom or slavery, dignity or abject humiliation. Failure is not an option. Bottom line, we are here to serve. And I love this as Marco characterization, as like a reinvention of himself mm. after Visser, mm-hmm. right? He's not talking about, he's not talking about, I'm in it to save my mom. Later, he when he mentions Ava, he's like, I don't even know if she's alive, but that's not important. He is in the fight 
for the cause, right? Yeah. He's like it's really he's like changed. really recommitted himself. Yeah. And I think that's so cool. Mm-hmm. I love that it's like I don't know, his arc is continuing. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking in some I think it was like one of the earlier mailbags about like how maybe he doesn't have as much of an arc and this is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And the later bit that is very good Marco characterization is other like I couldn't really figure out why it's a Marco book, but I really like this passage later where he talks about ruthlessness and he's saying basically they're working with Gaffanillan to go and rescue Myrtle, and Marco sees that Gaffanillan is only committed, his only loyalty is to Myrtle. That means he's dangerous and they mm. need to make sure like mm-hmm. like he's not he's not on the Animorphs team for the same reason that the Animorphs yeah. are fighting. Like, Marco's like, look, if I were in his position, I'd totally be willing to sell us out. So you need to be extra mm-hmm. careful and make mm-hmm. sure that he doesn't sell us out. And he talks about, like, he has this whole conversation where he goes back and forth with Jake. Oh, um, I love that. Yes. Yeah. So he's saying, Jake, I spoke privately. You'd better be aware we're in serious doo-doo if this guy decides to trade loyalties. And Jake is, he's trying to make the calls. Marco, we're doing this. Fine, I'm here, but let's be clear. What Gaffanillan was saying is that he was ready to betray us. What's changed? Okay, he can't fulfill his part of the bargain with the Visser, can't deliver an adult Andalite, but maybe he can cut a new deal if things start going bad. Hand over the human, quote, Andalite bandits in exchange for Myrtle. He said he'd work with us, not against us, Jake said tiredly. You believe that? I'll believe the opposite. That way we have all bases covered. Mm-hmm. Fine, let's get this over with. I feel like the tone in which you read that is different from how I interpreted it. Because I kind of felt like Jake was like, yeah, Marco's right, but I have to make this call anyway. Like, I don't think he disagreed with Marco. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay, yeah. Because I think that this is what makes them a really great team and what makes Marco such a good lieutenant is he's like, yes, okay, I recognize that you have to take this optimistic view because we have to try and you have to put together the plans for us to try, but I'm going to be the one who is skeptical so that I can spot if something's going to go wrong. Yeah. Fundamentally, Jake doesn't see that they have any way out of this mm-hmm. from an ethical standpoint. Yeah, yeah. And Marco does, because mm-hmm. that is just the difference between the way that they approach ethics or morals or, or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything like that. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Marco and his character, so it was really nice, the thing where he reaches out to Myrtle at the end and is like, you know, your partner dies, I'll come play video games with you. And he's like worried. He's like, what if Myrtle says no? Have I insulted him somehow horribly? Andalites are weird, you know, mm-hmm. got all these taboos and, and then Myrtle's like I didn't actually write down what he said but he's like yeah no I will and he calls him a wrist Marco and I was like that's nice but also this guy is a warrior come on <laughs> good point Been fighting this war for years they are the front line they've had countless missions against the Yerks come on promote acts don't call the other Animorphs a wrist a wrists. that is a really hard word to say it is I wonder if you become a warrior at a certain age, and then from uh, there, probably. it's a matter of, like, rank and, and you know, earning your stripes, such as it is, uh, on the battlefield. That's that's probably true. I did I did like how Gaffanillan was very aware of them being children, because mm-hmm. we don't, you know, have them interact with that many adults who know that they're fighting. Yeah, Gaffanillan hesitated. I cannot allow children to fight my battle. It would be unconscionable. Rachel rolled her eyes. No disrespect, Gaffanillan, Jake said, but we're going with you. Actually, you're going with us. So now, you play by our rules, or you sit this one out. Yeah. Which, Jake is being awesome, again. 
Yeah. And it's pretty funny how Rachel is rolling her eyes at the idea that maybe these children shouldn't be fighting the battle, which, like, you know, in, in their world, they, they do fight these battles. Mm-hmm. It would be dumb to be like, nope, we're kids, we're done. But but I do like it to get that perspective. People... Right, like, oh, right, they're children, they shouldn't be fighting yeah. this battle. A little bit like Mr. Tidwell, who's like, wow, you guys are children. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still going to be hard on you in Spanish class, though, right? Okay. Yeah, very weird. I'd just like to read a morphing description real quick. Mm. Um, so this is when he is uh, morphing a bird to go pass the message on to Axe that he might have been on TV. Yes, please. <clears throat> so he's, he's morphing in a, into a bird, um, and his feet turn into talons. Mm-hmm. No way those feet could support my thick human legs. I was going down. Thump! I was definitely down. But I'd fallen on my back. I lifted my head and watched as my legs blackened and shriveled up into my body like two sticks of beef jerky being sucked up by a gnarly old cowboy. <laughs> How do you not think that's disgusting, Penny? <laughs> that's it's so such gross. a cool way to describe that. There you go. <laughs> Why is Marco fantasizing about Clint Eastwood like leaning over some beef jerky and just going... <laughs> up beef jerky even work. I can't imagine. What are you talking about? Um, cowboys are like way too cool to ever do anything like that. Can you, I just want to like just they're, they're going to eat like a tomato and have it like drip off their cheek in a really like menacing way. Right? Sucking up gonna, two like, sticks of beef jerky? What are you talking about? It's spaghetti? It's beef right. jerky. Imagine a cowboy eating spaghetti. <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> so ridiculous. Oh, it's so gross. Oh man, I had I had a middle grade moment. Uh, Marco is talking about the stinger of the the bumblebee. Kind of worked like a hypodermic needle, except the tip was barbed so that it would stick into the skin of the honeybee's victim, and it shot poison, not some vitamin formula, which is of course everyone's primary association with <laughs> hypodermic needles. <laughs> okay, good point. Good point. Can we talk a little bit more about the bee scene? Uh, yeah, do you want to read the passage about communism? I really do. <laughs> yes, yes. I can't believe I didn't take a note on this. It was so good. I very, very much do. Um, I, I have to say, I actually, I loved the bee scenes because uh-huh. we said recently that... We missed the, the books, animals. Yeah, we missed the animals. We missed yeah, all the Yeah, this was like a better animal immersion yeah. experience I've gotten recently. This was very cool. Like, information about bees. I like bees. I like reading books about bees. I was super pleased with this. But the let's talk about this communism thing. Okay. Uh, he's saying to Rachel, it's not nearly as bad as being an ant, because ants are just programmed parts of the whole. It's sort of like I'm part of a big farm family. All for one, one for all, while we bring in the crop and feed the next generation and pay homage to the queen. That's what communism is all about, I mused. I mean... Castro's like a king when you think about it. <laughs> I was very confused about that before. I was like, oh, like the queen of the hive, and he's like the king. Of the... Mm, nope, still. It's nope. not a great analogy. That's also, what, when I think of communism, I do think of monarchs. That's like, <laughs> yeah. those concepts are pretty closely associated. You know what I also so. think about when I think about communism? The Three Musketeers. <laughs> yes. I mean, I was. it just doesn't... It's such a weird analogy. It doesn't make <laughs> yes. any sense. Yes, it the is. only farm family I could really think of was like, I, I mean, I know he's sort of trying to go for like, you know, USSR, communist Russia, but I was like, like animal farm, farm family? <laughs> because communism oh, no. and farm family, that's oh, what I no. think of. And I was like, 
Oh, wait, no, that's not what you're talking about at all. But <laughs> it doesn't make any sense as a metaphor. The rest of the bee stuff is great. Um, <laughs> he doesn't, he knows he's not going to have time to do the bee morph. So I spent a few minutes on the internet, capital I, hoping to discover mm. some pertinent facts about the bee's capabilities and weaknesses. Something that might help me know. Capabilities? <laughs> no. 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 Not that at all. <laughs> You too. Stop it. Stop it at once. So he turns into a bee, and that means they're all fuzzy and stuff, he says. And then when he morphs, he goes through each piece of the bee's body in a a very cool way. It's a disgusting morph. It's really bad. Very bad. But a super cool description. I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> okay, so he the first part of his him to morph is the part of his torso that became the bee's thorax. So he's Marco till about midway down my chest, bee thorax, and then Marco below. <laughs> the honeybee has an exoskeleton. Oh, so, this was gross. Yeah. 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 Uh, which precludes the need for an internal skeleton. So I'm pretty sure I was mostly ribless and partially spineless at the moment. That is so nauseating, Rachel remarked helpfully. Uh, And then he talks about chitin, which is what the exoskeleton is made of. Very cool. Two sets of flat, thin wings sprang from the bee's thorax. Membranes really lined with veins, the set in front larger. Together, using a propeller-like twisting motion, the two sets allowed the honeybee to fly. Super cool. Hundreds, thousands of little hairs sprouted all over my body. The sound they make, by the way, is poof, poof, poof. Hilarious. (laughs) Uh, Then he gets three pairs of segmented legs on the thorax. So I think at this point, he's still Marco, B-thorax, Marco, but Marco with wings, extra legs, and hair all over himself. Disgusting. Uh, And then he gets the antenna and he describes those. And then his human head becomes the triangular head of the bee. His mouth sealed. His chin split down the cleft, which did we know Marco has a cleft in his chin? And then (laughs) shooting out of that vertical mouth, a proboscis, long and hairy tongue that would allow the bee to drink liquids. And then he gets mandibles, and he describes that they're useful for eating pollen and manipulating wax and snatching enemies. And then he's blind because his human eyes go away. And then his tiny bee eyes pop out, and he describes what the bee vision is like. John, would you like to talk more about the bee vision? Uh, Well, I mean, I guess it's just like a version of purple. Um, that we can't see because they can see in ultraviolet light. Didn't he um, also say it was the color between yellow and purple? Yellow and ultraviolet. That doesn't make any sense. It does not. The color between yellow Such and ultraviolet on the, <laughs> on the spectrum. Too intense for the human eye to see. <laughs> it's not how that... But it's this, not where yellow is. Is color nonlinear? Yellow. Like, I'm confused about... It is, it's, bee color is very nonlinear. It's like the um, the scaling system in the good place where eight is the best, but it's out of thirteen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, it, well, so this whole part was really cool to me because, at least in the way that I read it or imagined it, is like so he has this tunnel through his force field that the bees can go through, and he's colored it the exact color that bees can see, but not humans. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that's how Marco is getting through this otherwise like that's maze. Awesome. Oh. Uh, tunnel to get mm-hmm. into the greenhouse. I just like imagining that. It's like I'm imagining basically an ultraviolet version of the 
maze screensaver from like oh. Windows, and he's yeah. like running through this. Nice. I was picturing like the TARDIS tunnel in the Doctor Who theme song. Um, yeah, uh, but anyway, that's, that's, that's yeah, really that's cool. Amazing. According to the research that I just briefly did on the internet, it turns out B-Vision really does have a B-Purple that's between yellow and ultraviolet, which, what does that mean? That's crazy. I don't know what that looks like, and I want to find out more. There are all kinds of cool B-Facts in mm-hmm. this book. What else did you find out, John? Well, first of all, that a lot of bees are female. In fact, most of mm-hmm. them. Almost all of them. All yeah. drones. Marco, yeah. of course you acquired a female bee. Because they're the only ones that leave the hive. But also, isn't that a little bit of like, we don't really know what to call bee sexes, so we're calling these ones female? Is, is that, that not a thing? Case? I thought this was a thing. I probably read it on Tumblr. I don't know what I'm talking about. I mean, well, I mean there's, so there's like one bee that births babies. Right. And right. then there's the other bees that are also, that are workers, I guess. I mean, I don't know if there's such a thing as bee gender. <laughs> or maybe there is, and we just don't know, but. Great episode title. <laughs> such a thing as bee gender. Um, I, yeah, I don't know enough to, to comment. Yeah. Really. Uh, but apparently the, the bulk of them are what some people refer to as female. Um, and those are the only ones that leave the hive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so therefore, of course, Marco is a bee. Also, right. Marco knows nothing about bees whatsoever, <laughs> which is fine. I mean, he says as much. Don't go catching a bee if you don't know <laughs> if you're allergic to bees. Very important. PSA from us to you. Do not catch bees if you don't know if you're allergic to them. And even if you have already been stung once, sometimes the allergy kicks in oh. on the second one. So just don't do it. Also, it's mean because you know, if they sting you, they die. Of all the things they do in these books that are dangerous I mean. know. <laughs> just saying. But yeah, I, I really like the moment where he's like, I racked my brain to see if I had any information about whether honeybees stung. Nope, nothing there. <laughs> it was great. I definitely thought about the termite queen. I was like, Marco, don't tell Cassie that you just killed a bee. She's going to think about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, another line that was in here is Marco trying to catch a bee. Of oh. course, Gafinolan, that's not how it's pronounced now, uh, but that's <laughs> sure. how it's been. Uh, Gafinolan relied on the bees to help fertilize his plants. Yeah. That's, they pollinate, right? They don't, I mean, they Isn't fertilize the in a sense, but like not. Oh, I mean, I guess when you talk about plants, fertile, fertilizing is like, you know, putting fertilizer in the ground. But right. isn't it, I mean, can you call pollination fertilization? I don't know. I think you can. Oh, great, great. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you can. I mean, it's not, I mean, I, it's, as, it's not as technically correct as pollination, but it's close enough. It's just struck me as like yeah. a, an oddity of phrase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, I, I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting, all of the different, I don't know, beef fats. Like, it's just nice to get more of the animal stuff. Yeah. 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 I actually, I was like, oh, it's been a while since we've had a new animal morph. And I was like, it really hasn't. But it feels like it has, because we just haven't gotten that much interesting description of yeah. them. At the very beginning, when Gafinolam... What is the actual... Correct? Galifianakis. Galifianakis. <laughs> <laughs> Gandalf. Gafinillin. Gafinillin, like vanillin. Yeah. Uh, when Gafinillin uh, is demorphing from Possum, and Tobias goes and attacks him, mm-hmm. Gafinillin, like, deftly not quite kills Tobias with his tail blade. Yeah. Uh, just a twitch. This is supposedly somebody who's going blind and can't even read the signs on his little plants. That's just a very impressive uh He's a good warrior. Luck, you know, I fighter think. pilots really have to be good at the tail fighting. That's yes. how it works. Yeah. I was wondering, were the signs on his plants in English? 
Who were they for? It did say they were helpful. Yeah. We didn't know. <laughs> like, why were they there? Maybe they were in both Andalite and English. He, he is an artist. <laughs> no one's ever been inside his house, and yet it is flawless. Right? Maybe he was using them to teach Myrtle to read human. Also, couldn't uh, Gefeniland, dang it. Um, Close enough. Yeah. Uh, it just occurs to me, like, yeah, he's willing to break all sorts of Andalite rules, and he's willing to do pretty, mm, at least a, unobjectively terribly th- terrible things in order to rescue Myrtle. He could just acquire Myrtle and morph him and become an Nothlet. But would it be weird then to have sex with yourself? Well, but, yeah, but well, so but presumably he would be captured by Mister Three at this point. Um, yeah. But yes, also that would be very weird. To have sex with <laughs> or depending on you know what you're into, you know. Yeah. There would also be. Wouldn't it be terrible if? You not only were having oh. sex with yourself, but having sex with a version of yourself that doesn't have the like disability that you're ashamed of. That would be Ooh, a really that would tough be, it would be pretty situation. Mean. Really I mean, mean. Though though, given what Myrtle and Gaffinella do for each other in this book, it seems like Myrtle would Oh, Myrtle offered. would be on board. Myrtle's probably offered. has offered. Yeah. yeah. It was funny to me that Gaffinellan has so many and like customs he's opting out of. Yeah. But he's still like, someone broke the law of Ciro's kindness. <laughs> Like, yeah. he hasn't questioned all of them, you know, just the ones that have happened to, he's run into They're inconvenient life. for him. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Are you yeah. looking up I my am most four? Can I look on the inside? Uh, let me check. Wow, this is very bad. Um, okay. Whoa, you know who isn't the tallest? I mean, Jake? Which one? I, well, I Rachel can't... is too short. Rachel's too short. Jake is the tallest. Jake is the tallest. You're right. You're right. But Rachel... Do you recognize Tobias? Because this might be the first time you see Tobias's second cover model. I thought it was... Um, no, it was Chronicles. the last time because I got confused about the blonde. Mm-hmm. For the first time he shows up? Isn't um, this the new Tobias? Wait, isn't that Tobias? Isn't Aren't both of these Tobias? That was going to be Axe? my question, so great. Where is Axe? I'm checking off the they forgot axe on my bingo card. You should look nice. at the, um, that counts, yeah. You should look at the inside cover. Okay, so first of all, uh, for those of you who aren't looking at this image, <laughs> it is called Back to Before, and it is a black and white image of five animorphs and a bird <laughs> well, this, uh, being very uplit and standing on maybe lava. It's it's a very, very creepy image. And it's the sort of same, like shadowy aesthetic that we saw in Elmas Chronicles. Yeah, I didn't like it then. Yeah. I don't like it now. Okay, uh, back to before. Uh, okay, so it's... Okay, so if this is the... The inside ones seem to be a anamorph and a morph. Uh, so Rachel and the bear, Marco and the cobra. Yikes. Um, also, they're the same height. <laughs> uh, yep. Okay, so Marcus Tobias Pollard. and the bird. Right. We looked at the cover for Elmas Chronicles already. I forgot. Okay, Cassie and the wolf, Jake and the tiger. Yikes. Uh, no axe. I'm counting that on my bingo card. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I. That's all you get. Sorry. Make your prediction. <laughs> well, it's called Back to Before. Mm. Okay, you guys. As unlikely as it seems, and as much as this throws off my predictions for the rest of the series, I'm calling the reset button for this <gasps> one. How does it work? Oh my god. <laughs> Do they just find it in the construction site? Has it been in Cassie's barn all along? <laughs> I'm going to go with Elemis shenanigans. Okay. Because that just seems like always a good option. And I think he's going to give them a vision of what 
the world or they would be like if they could go back in time and not have any of this happen. This is my reset button book. I'm calling it this one. That's a title that says reset button to me. Okay. Yeah, actually, I thought it said back to before, but it does say reset button. You're right. It says reset button right there. <laughs> yeah, I see it now. Right above Scholastic. Yeah. And then are books 41 through 54 the new timeline? So then, no, I think, I mean, listen. That's when Rachel and Tobias cuddle for 14 books. Yes. And they go to therapy. It's great. No, I think because of various gentle rolling of eyes when I have used reset button as my final answer for so many things. I'm going to say that they use the reset button now and then they're like, no, that would be terrible. We have to keep fighting this fight. And so we're going to just keep going. And then the rest of the books are them having recommitted all together to this fight. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to have to rethink what I think happens at the end. Okay. Except for the double wedding that huh. day. That's, no, a, that's obvious. That's a bold that's like prediction. A that's a bold prediction. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was like going to happen it. now or it was going to happen in 54, so I might as well get my bold prediction out of the way now. It was right for 37. Yeah. Yes, it you was. You really on the nose for 37. Thank so, you. So, yeah, you're probably going to be right here, too. All right, that's my prediction. So this is, this is not the next one we're doing, though. It's the next book we're doing. But first we're going to do a mailbag, I think. Oh. Yeah. yeah. We'll do a mailbag episode. Because we always do mailbags before Megamorphs. Okay. That's exciting. Yeah. We are excited, yeah, to talk about everyone's thoughts and comments and questions. Perfect. John, send us thoughts for your John. I always do. It's It was so great to have you. Yes. Thank you for joining this us. This was so much fun. Such what a pleasure. I'm so glad you were here. Thanks for having great. me. Yeah. Hey, John. Woo. So, yeah. Book 40. See you next time. So, yeah, I have one more thing. I have a question. If you want to find us, we are at Anamorphology.com and at Anamorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the Anamorphs ebooks on our website. So, yeah, I have one more thing. I have a question. Okay. So, Jenny. Yeah? Should we date? Yeah. Can I kiss you? Sure. No! Wait, no! <laughs> you fuckers! <laughs>